I want us all to stand for the reading of God's Word today. It's a short passage from Psalm 95. Psalm 95. We have it up on the screen if you want to read along there. Everybody ready? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we are depending on you to open the eyes of our understanding that we may see. Open our ears, circumcise them, so we may hear your voice and what you have to speak to us, your church, today. And God, in advance, let us not have hard hearts, but let us have tender, yielded hearts that can move and obey at your command. Bless now your word to our hearts and bless each one here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. amen. You may be seated. You may recognize portions of that psalm because they're quoted in the New Testament. And we'll come to that a little bit later, but it's obviously a very significant piece of Scripture because of the way that it is referred to by the New Testament writers. But I want to take it verse by verse very quickly. We're just going to survey a few things here. But I want you to notice three times in verse 1, again in verse 2, and then in verse 6, there's a very key word here that I want to hone in on this afternoon. It's the word come. God says come. It's all throughout the Bible. God is an inviting God. He's calling out to mankind, come, come, come. And, you know, when you have a friend or a relative or an acquaintance, and they keep calling you and say, boy, I'd really like to see you. I wish you would come over to my house. I wish you would visit me. It makes you feel good. You feel welcome. And there are other people that, quite frankly, don't make you feel very welcome. And even if you do show up, the door is kind of half shut in your face. And it's like, are you leaving yet? <laughs> but God is a God who keeps saying, come, 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 come. 
Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Come, let us bow down in worship and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You know, there are many scriptures that talk to us about our need to draw near to God. And if there's one thing that I think we can emphasize today, it's that God wants us to draw closer to Him. We can know a lot of things, we can possess a lot of things, but I'm going to be very honest with you, I shared this with you last week, after 41 years in ministry, I can know a lot of things, I know some Bible verses, I know some doctrine and some theology and whatnot. But you know, after all is said and done, it really doesn't help you a whole lot if you don't have the Lord present in your life. If you're not near Him and He's near you. And that's why it's a daily seeking, drawing near, getting closer to God. I don't care where any one of us is today, we can go further, we can get closer. <laughs> we haven't arrived yet. Sorry to break that news to you. Wherever you are, there's still more ground to cover. And I want to remind you, and I'm going to run through these quickly, I'm going to remind you of just some key verses in the New Testament that talk about our coming to the Lord. And I want you, as we read these, to note, it doesn't say coming to church. We're glad you came to church today. It doesn't say coming to prayer meeting. We're glad if you want to come to prayer meeting. It doesn't say come to Bible study. All of these verses talk about coming to Him. A personal encounter with God. John 6. We're going to read a number of verses from the Gospel of John because this is emphasized there. John 6.44. You know I'm going to do this. <clears throat> No one. What's no one mean? Almost? Except for a few? No one can come. Uh-oh. We got problems already. We can't come on our own. No one can come to me, Jesus is speaking here, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That song we opened with this morning is a very good prayer to pray every day. Lord, draw me, and then I'll run after you. Draw me. God initiates this whole thing. We can't just up and run to him and say, Oh, how you doing there, Pops? I want to be close to you today. No, he draws us to himself. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me, draws him. But there's some good news in this same chapter. Back up to verse 37. The Father gives, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You know I'm going to do this again. What does it start with? All. All. 
The other one was no one. This one's all. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I don't have time to go into the theology of it this morning, but this is mentioned over and over in the Gospel of John. Jesus didn't make a mistake here because he repeats it numerous times. He talks about some transaction that took place where the Father gave you to Jesus. Did you follow that? The Father gave you to Jesus. We often talk about, oh, in 1973, I accepted Christ. I hate that language, by the way. It's almost like Christ is something unacceptable, but I, I forced myself to eat my spinach, even though it's not acceptable to me. No, we don't accept Christ. We receive Christ. But more importantly, He accepts us into the Beloved. Because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. But this concept of the Father giving someone to Jesus seems to be way beyond our natural understanding. We touched on this a few weeks ago. There are things that were settled before the foundation of the earth. You were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. There are things we just can't understand or comprehend. One thing I will tell you, if you know that you're saved today, man, you can jump for joy. Because that means this happened. The Father, in eternity past, made a decision to give you to Jesus. And because of that, He can now draw you to Jesus and you can come to Him. And whoever comes to Him, He says, I will never drive away. I will never cast out. But look at another verse in the previous chapter of John. John 5 verses 39 and 40. He's talking to very religious Jewish people. They knew the Scriptures. They knew their religion inside and out. And that can sometimes be a hindrance. Listen to what he says. You diligently study the Scriptures. That's good. That's good. I want to encourage everybody to do that. Study this book. Know this book. Get into it. Spend hours in it. Study the Scriptures, but you think that by knowing the Bible, you possess eternal life. Hmm. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet, you refuse to come to Me to have life. Notice two different things here are going on. Studying the Scriptures is one thing. Coming to Jesus is a whole different event. Many people know the Bible. Oh, I've heard people that can quote this thing forwards and backwards, and they have no salvation. They don't have eternal life. They're lost. That's scary. We can be deceived into thinking that knowledge is equivalent to salvation. No, 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 no. 
In the Garden of Eden, God wanted Adam and Eve to eat of life before they ate of knowledge. They did it in the wrong way. They wanted knowledge first, and it killed them. Knowledge puffs up. Unless that knowledge inspires, motivates you to come to Jesus. They wouldn't do it. With all their Bible knowledge, oh, we know what Zechariah says, and you know, this prophet and that scripture, yet you refuse to come to me. They thought they had life, they didn't. Because how do you get life? By coming to Jesus. That's how you get life, by coming to Jesus. John 7, verses 37 to 39. Very prevalent theme in the Gospel of John. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, tell him to come to church. Give him a visitor's card. Fine, you're welcome to come to church. We hope you come to church. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And finally, verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. And everybody knows Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Let's put it up in case you don't. Good scripture to memorize. What does it say if you're tired, come to church? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Please remember that word rest, because Psalm 95 ends on that note, talking about entering into God's rest. Come to me, come to me, come to me. How many times Jesus states that? It must be that He wants us to come to Him. He doesn't want us far away. He wants us near to His heart. He wants us close. And by the way, I see a couple of prerequisites here for those who are likely candidates to come to Jesus. Thirsty, weary, Burdened. The Bible says he fills the hungry with good things and he sends the rich and the full away empty. I have come to a conclusion now in my life after dealing with many, many people over many, many years. There are some people that just aren't thirsty. And you can try to tell them they are. Yeah, but Mr. Smith, you're thirsty. You're supposed to come to Jesus. Don't you feel that thirst? No. But you need Jesus. No, I don't. Anybody had that experience? 
trying to share Christ with someone, they're not the least bit interested. Because they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're not broken. They're not weary. They're not tired of their life yet. And until you get good and tired of your sin, of your own ways, of your own life, you're going to keep going. You're going to keep pursuing your own path until it finally dead ends or it takes you off a cliff. Hopefully sooner than later. I'm glad it happened in my life when I was 23 years old. Otherwise, God only knows where I would have ended up. Because I was like a bull charging after sin, charging after the world, charging after what I wanted. And I had no interest in Christ. I had no interest in God. A few people had tried to share Christ with me and I brushed it off. I wasn't thirsty. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't weary yet. I wasn't burdened with my life. Oh, but God knows how to change that. Hallelujah. He knows how to step into our circumstances. He knows how to change things up a little bit so that suddenly you're like, what am I doing? Where am I? What am I doing with my life? And you know, until that time comes, it's very difficult to try to push, kick, force somebody to go and get close to Jesus. But let me tell you something. When somebody really gets desperate, when they really get hungry and thirsty, and they just hear something about Jesus, they will run for miles to get to Him. I have a student in school. She has um, two younger sisters that are also in our school, and I actually teach her younger sister also. But they have a little toddler who's not school age yet. And the oldest daughter was telling me on Friday that for the last few nights, every night when it's time to go to bed, the child is literally crying, saying, I want to see God! I want to see God! And I said, man, that child is blessed. Because God is going to answer her. If only we had that kind of a desperation. If only we had that kind of a desire to know God, to get closer to God. Sometimes, you know, we're just ho-hum. Well, if the Lord wants me to know Him, I guess I'll find out something. If, if He wants me to see Him one day, that's okay. No, I want to see God. I want to get closer to Him. I want to know who this God is. I want to experience His power. I want to have fellowship with Him. Those kind of people are the ones that are going to draw near to God. And here's a promise that God gives all of us. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. It's almost like you take one step, I'll take one. You take another step, I'll take one. And the closer you get to God, the closer he draws to you. But you know, in Hebrews, I want us to look at this passage because it mentions several things that are key to your and my drawing near to God. Hebrews chapter 10. And just bear with me a few minutes. We're going to get back to Psalm 95. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, 
Since we have confidence. Say confidence. confidence. I like that word. Confidence. We sang earlier today, Lord, I run into your arms. Unashamed because of my track record? Unashamed because of mercy. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Repeat that with me. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed, with pure water. So I'm starting to see there are some prerequisites to my drawing near to God. I must come through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way. This is the new way. It's the living way to come to God. It's through Jesus. It's through the cross. It's through the blood. And it goes on to say here, we must come with a sincere heart. You know, God hates hypocrisy. He just hates it. He loves a sincere sinner more than He loves a self-righteous hypocrite. You can see it all through the Gospels. God wants sincerity. He doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for sincerity. And even when we come to the communion table, Paul taught the Corinthians, make sure you're coming with sincerity and truth when you partake of the Lord's body and blood. Sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. Basically, I see three things here. Sincerity, clean, and faith. Cleansed from a guilty conscience, bodies washed with pure water, washed, sanctified through the blood of Jesus. We're coming clean, not by our own merits, because of His new and living way. We're now coming clean, we're coming in faith, and we're coming with a sincere heart. He repeats this again in the next chapter, verse everybody should know, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who what? Who comes to Him. That's what we're talking about today. Coming to God. Anyone. What's anyone? anyone. Raise your hand if you're an anyone. Hallelujah. we got so many ones here. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe. Must believe believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, there's a way for us to come. God is inviting. He's calling. He's desiring for us to come to Him. Now, go back with me to our opening scripture in Psalm 95. 
My prayer is that in these days, we can learn how to draw near to God and really experience Him in a deeper way. And I think that begins with a sincere desire. If you're not really sincerely interested in getting closer to God, this is all just a bunch of rhetoric. But if you really want to get closer to God, God will meet you and He'll show you what to do, how to do it, how to experience His presence more regularly and more deeply. We saw here the whole psalm begins with, Come, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. We're not going to turn to the verse, but you can look it up if you want. In Exodus 23, verse 15, God told the Israelites, Do not come before me empty-handed. Interesting. Don't come before God empty-handed. Well, what am I going to bring in? He's not really interested in my stuff. They brought stuff in the Old Testament. Grain offerings, things from their fields, etc., etc. But now, what does God want me to bring Him? Well, we just read a few things. Bring Him praise. Bring Him song. Bring Him thanksgiving. Enter His courts with thanksgiving. Come to God with joy, with praise on your lips. And when we do come together as a body, whether it's here on Sunday or a Friday night or wherever it is, hopefully you have put some things into your hands even before you got here. So when you arrive, you've already got something to give God. You've got praise in your heart. You've got reason to give Him thanks. You want to rejoice before the Lord because of what He's done in your life. Don't come before Him empty-handed. Bring Him an offering. And I might as well say this, I know everybody knows it. The Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise. What's a sacrifice? What's the sacrifice? Does it hurt? Might hurt. Got to give up something. Now, most of you, it wasn't any sacrifice at all to get out of your house, get into your car or the bus or a taxi or whatever it was that you used to get here and get to church. But this man made a sacrifice just to get to church today. And you know, the Lord sees those things. The Lord sees when we're willing even to endure some pain, give up some of our comfort, sacrifice something, because I want to praise the Lord. And I honestly wasn't expecting to see Pastor Quasey today. And just before I left the house, I noticed a little text. He said, you know, I've had a rough week, da 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 I'm paraphrasing. I need to be in church. <laughs> Most of us would say, oh, my knee, my back, my head, let me stay home and take my ease. When really, what we most need is probably to be in the presence of God, to be encouraged by God's Word, because His Word is health to our flesh. 
It's healing for us. Then it moves on to a different level. And we don't necessarily try to follow some specific order of worship. But I think you can see a sort of an order in this psalm. Starting off with praise, with song, with rejoicing. And then in verses 3 to 5, it seems to change to something a little deeper. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Now we're acknowledging the greatness of God. We're beginning to focus on who He is. And I love worship songs that talk about who He is. Every once in a while, it's okay to sing a song about, I feel happy, I feel glad, I feel good. But you know, I like the songs that talk about His greatness. I love that line we sang today, every knee will bow before His throne. God is a great God. He's a great King above all the kings and above all the gods. And as we begin to enter into this second phase of worship, we're really acknowledging who God is. We're proclaiming with our lips who He is. He's a great King. Now, you may know that, but something happens when it comes from your lips. That's why the Bible talks about confessing your faith. That's what we do when we're singing. When we're singing out these words, for the Lord is a great God, He's a great King above all gods. That's our confession, our declaration of faith. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. Now, just think about those words for a minute. In His hand are the depths of the earth. And on my way to church, I got a problem. <laughs> right? I got a flat tire, or I got a leak, or I got a bill to pay. And suddenly I remember, wait a minute, in His hand are the depths of the earth. In other words, this great God has control of every detail in the universe. Why am I worried why am I worried? The mountain peaks belong to Him. Maybe you feel like there's a mountain in your way. Some wall that keeps hindering you, keeps stopping you every time you try to go forward. Bam! It's there in your way. Well, just remember, the mountain peaks belong to Him. He can level a mountain just like that. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry ground. Most of you all know this. It's very important to me, and I'm very passionate about this. I teach it all the time to my students, that it's not an option to, well, maybe God made everything, maybe it evolved. That's not an option. This is critical that our young people grow up knowing God is Creator. In the beginning, He made heaven and earth. God made the sea. God made the birds. God made the earth. And the next verse is the most important of all. He made me. Verse 6. Come, let us bow down 
in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Notice the transition again. We've gone from that second phase of just acknowledging the greatness of God to now bowing down, kneeling before the Lord our Maker. The Lord my Maker. You know, we sing that song, He Knows My Name. I like that. Why does He know your name? He made you. He made you. And, you know, any artist, any craftsman, anybody who's ever made anything, you're proud of that thing that you've made. It's special to you. Because it's really a part of you. Well, when God made us in His own image and likeness, how special we are to God. And when I kneel down before God, and I kneel acknowledging, Lord, You're my Maker. Wow. That's deep. That's very deep. Verse 7 brings us even to a deeper level. He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Something happened here. <laughs> We've gone from singing, rejoicing, acknowledging the greatness of God. Now we're down on our knees, kneeling before the Lord our Maker, bowing down before Him. But finally in verse 7, I've surrendered to God, and I'm no longer my own he is our God and we are His people. We are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. And then there's one more phase to this. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, although I could. Once we have rejoiced, we've given thanks to God, we've shouted our praises to Him, We've worshipped Him. We've acknowledged His greatness. We've bowed down before Him and we've even surrendered our lives. And I say, Lord, I'm not my own anymore. Have Your way in my life. One last, not little, a big detail. Today, if you hear His voice, Today, if you hear His voice. You see, worship isn't complete. It's not just singing and making music and clapping our hands and saying, boy, that was a nice praise service. Now let me get back to doing what I want to do. And most churches, most Christian groups, although they do it a thousand different ways, Usually there's a time of singing, praise, worship, music, or something before we really turn our attention to the Word of God. There's a reason for that. The praise, the worship, the surrender, it prepares our heart now and our ears to hear. And this is the portion from here to the end of the psalm that's quoted in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear His voice, do not 
harden your hearts. Now, hearing is not just referring to the physical ability to detect sound. <laughs> Most parents, I think, know what it is to have a kid who hears but didn't listen. <laughs> Do I have any amens? <laughs> I heard you, Mom, but I'm not listening. Well, when God talks about hearing, He's talking about obedience. Today, if you hear and obey His voice, because when this is quoted in Hebrews, and we're going to go there in a minute, it is summarized with one word, disobedience. So obviously, not hearing His voice is equivalent to disobedience. We don't often think of obedience as worship, but it is. And really, it's the highest worship. It's not just feeling all emotional because we like the song and the melody and the tears run down our cheeks. That's all good. But the highest form of worship is, here I am, Lord. I've come to do your will. I surrender. I'm ready. Whatever you say to me, whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to obey. Obedience is worship. And all these other steps are to prepare us to hear His voice and not harden our hearts. I've been on this for weeks and weeks now, hearing and seeing, hearing and seeing. Apparently, only a few people can hear and see. Jesus said that. The apostles confirmed that. And they were all basically quoting the prophet Isaiah, who's the first to state it. Many will be seeing, but not seeing. Many will be hearing, but not hearing. And then Jesus started to teach in parables. And the disciples stopped him and they said, Lord, why are you giving all these parables? And he said, because many can't hear, can't see. And in them is fulfilled the saying of the prophet Isaiah. But then he turned to Peter, James, and John and the others and he said, but blessed are your ears for they hear and your eyes for they see. And more and more I'm understanding that if you can see and hear, you are a blessed Christian. If you can really hear what God is saying to your life, if you can really see and discern His will for your life, you're blessed. This is a strong warning. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did. They tested and tried Me. And notice verse 9. Though they had seen what I did, we often think, oh, if, if the people could just see miracles, man, then they would soften their hearts and believe in God. No. It's never been that way. The Bible's full of people who saw miracles and they hardened their hearts. 
Nobody had ever seen more miracles than the Israelites saw. Can you imagine actually being there? We're going through this on Wednesday nights. Out of bondage into abundance. The whole story of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt. 400 years of slavery. Broken in one night just by putting blood on their doorposts. Can you imagine if you were there? What a mark that would have left on your heart and mind. Not to mention, a few days later, you see the Red Sea part. You walk across on dry land and you're watching Pharaoh and all of his chariots drowning in the water. But you know what the Bible says? They soon forgot. Soon forgot. They hardened their hearts very quickly. And in a matter of days, what are they saying? Oh, we came out here in this desert to die. We want to go back to Egypt where we had a good life. What? Did I miss something? Go back to Egypt where we had a good life. Man, we had leeks and melons and those onions. Don't forget those onions. Boy, we had a good time back there in Egypt. In the baking sun, being whipped by our taskmasters, working hours and hours and hours as slaves day after day for 400 years. What a great life. How you can get messed up in your head when your heart becomes hard. That's what happened to them. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 10, For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known My ways. So I declared on oath in My anger, they shall never enter My rest. Now, quickly, go to Hebrews chapter 3, and you can do this for homework. Read Hebrews 3 and 4. Because the two chapters refer to this very psalm several different times. And you'll recognize it as soon as I start quoting it. For instance, Hebrews 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where the fathers tested and tried me. Da-da-da-da-da. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We're talking about coming to God. They turned away from Him. And again in verse 15, as has just been said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You know, Jesus spoke about one class of people in His parable of the sower. They hear the Word of God. They get all excited. Man, I like that Bible message. That was good, Pastor. Now, don't take this personally, but I've learned over the years, uh, when somebody comes to me after a service and is like, wow, that was the greatest message I've ever heard in my life. You're going to see me back here next Sunday. Never seen them again. Never seen them again. Had one of those just a few weeks ago. Oh, ranting and raving about what a fantastic message it was. Oh, I'm going to be back here. Haven't seen them. 
They hear the word, get all excited and rejoice, but there's one problem. They have no root. They have no root. And as soon as some heat, some sun, some trial, some pressure, some testing comes, I'm out of here, man. Jesus talked about a calloused heart. A calloused heart. You ever gotten calluses? If you do a lot of hard work with your hands, your skin becomes like leather. The tips of my fingers, especially on my left hand, they're, they're like hard as rocks. They're calloused from playing the guitar. My right fingers are very soft. They're different. You get calluses from all that rubbing, all that pressure, all that friction on that particular part of your body. It builds up a protective layer, and finally you can't feel anything. I can't even feel the ends of my fingers. <laughs> it's just a big, thick callus there. And imagine the same scenario with a calloused heart. The Lord has been trying to convict, trying to prick, trying to deal with your heart, but you keep hardening it, hardening it, hardening it. It becomes calloused. And what is scary is eventually there's no more feeling. No more feeling. No more conviction. You do things and you're like, oh, I don't even feel bad anymore. I guess the Lord's okay with my adultery, with my lying, with my you fill in the blanks. No, what happened is the heart became hard. Cry out to God to circumcise your heart. Make it tender again. So when he speaks to you, you can humble yourself. He goes on here, and the writer of Hebrews is now writing to New Testament believers. He's using Psalm 95 to speak this message to them. But starting in verse 16 of Hebrews 3, he says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was God angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter His rest, if not to those who... Who disobeyed. So, we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Two things are going on here. Disobedience and unbelief. And he jumps right into the next chapter. He's not done yet. Therefore, since the promise of entering is rest, remember that was the whole thing at the end of Psalm 95, I swore that they would never enter my rest because they won't listen to me. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard... Oh, this is scary. The message they heard was of no value to them. No fault of the message... The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine 
it with faith. God's call to us is to come to him and to enter into his rest. It involves worship. It involves surrender. But ultimately, it involves listening. Hearing his voice. You know, I love the story of little Samuel. When he was there as a young boy in the temple with Eli. And I think you all know the story. God began to call him. And on several occasions, he heard his name being called out. Samuel! Samuel! Without any hesitation, Samuel ran to Eli. Yes. What do you want? You called me. No, son, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. Samuel! He gets up, comes to Eli. Yes, what do you want? I didn't call you, son. Go lay down. Finally, Eli says, if it happens again, <laughs> say these words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, Lord, for your servant is listening. There's a whole lot in that one little phrase. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God, sure enough, called him again, and he did that. And God began to speak to him. Up until that time, the Bible says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. But I want you to notice something. I think God was training Samuel in the art of listening. And don't take this too far, but I think children, they first learn how to listen to the parents before they can really listen to God. And new believers learn to listen to those whom God has placed over them before they really begin to hear the voice of God in their own life. And suppose Samuel had heard that voice and said, I'm not getting up. <laughs> I want my sleep. Well, it short circuits the whole story. Because God was teaching Samuel how to obey those whom God had placed over him. And come on, if a child can't listen to his parents, it's going to be hard for him to hear from God. If a new believer is already critical of the pastors and the leaders in the church, how are they ever going to hear anything? They're going to be full of confusion. And so God places people in our lives, parents, leaders, elders, who speak things to us, so we can learn how to listen. Today, if you hear his voice, and I would like to have you keep this in mind in coming weeks. As we come together, we begin to sing and clap our hands and worship and maybe enter into a more uh, quiet time with the Lord. Expect to hear from him. 
Let the Lord speak to us. I believe God has things to say. And I think I've shared this testimony with you. This was some time ago, but I found myself one day just rattling off a whole laundry list of prayer requests. Oh God, you need to do this, and you need to change that, and you need to move this, and you need to do that, Lord, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And I'm not saying I heard these exact words, but basically what I felt in my spirit was the Holy Spirit saying, shut up. Really. It was very strong. Be quiet. And I realized, God can't get a word in edgewise. We're rattling off. Oh, I need this, need this. Okay, God, amen. Now you work When does God have time to say anything? Try to incorporate more time in your morning prayer, devotional time, whatever you call it. Try to incorporate some more quiet time where you aren't doing the talking. Now that starts by reading the Word, but then listen. Lord, what do you have to say to me today? I think God has things to say to every one of us. And if we have ears to hear, we're going to hear what the Lord has to say. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you that you are an inviting God. You're calling us to come. You're calling us to draw near. You're telling us to leave behind those things that were wrecking and ruining our lives and to come to the one who can give us life and life abundantly. Come to the one who can heal us, cleanse us, save us, redeem us. And Lord, we want to learn how to live in your presence. We want to learn how to draw near to a living God. And Father, teach us more and more and encourage us more and more to seek your face, to seek your presence, and to know your promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And most of all, God, Bring us to a place of surrender where we're willing to hear, to listen, and to obey. Whatever it is that you're speaking to our hearts and lives, help us to have an obedient spirit. We don't want to repeat what the Israelites did. And through rebellion, disobedience, and unbelief, they failed to enter into the rest that you had promised them. Lord, you have a rest for us. It's a ceasing from our own plans, our own agendas, and resting in your will, resting in your plan for our lives. God, I pray for each and every one here today. Dig open our ears that we can hear clearly what the Spirit is saying to us in these last days. Bless us and make us a blessing. Keep us under the precious blood of Jesus. Protect us from all harm and all danger. And let us walk in victory with success and with prosperity as we do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen.